a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Live from the University of Utah. This time it will be about defending my own record. We're going to lay out the contrast tonight, and it's on. This is Live Mike with Lee Lunsbury. Special coverage of Utah's vice presidential debate on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Hey, welcome back to this special episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. This is, for those keeping track at home, episode number 201. Celebrated 200 just yesterday. Big milestone for the program. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, today we are broadcasting live, as you have heard throughout the day, now into the afternoon from the campus of the University of Utah. Why are we here? Uh, I'm sure you know. I'll tell you again. It is that tonight, tonight, the candidates for vice president of the United States will take to the stage one-on-one debating one another. All proper COVID precautions are being taken. There'll be plexiglass between them. There'll be uh, 12, 13 feet between them. Uh, uh, the the hall where where typically these debates are attended by hundreds and hundreds of individuals will be limited to uh, to very few, including though there will be University of Utah students in the audience. There, uh, there was uh, a drawing of sorts where students were able to enter their name uh, and names were pulled out of a hat of sorts, and a number of them received the lucky call that they uh, would be getting uh, golden tickets, so to speak. In fact, later on the program, we'll be speaking with three of the students who will be in the hall. Uh, we want to know what they expect to see, uh, what they expect to learn, and uh, what they predict they'll go away with following the debate. That's coming up later on. Right now, though, uh, I want to turn my attention to a conversation I'm very much Looking forward to having with Richard Davis, BYU political science professor and chair of the State Debate Coalition. Uh, Professor Davis, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm excited. I'm feeling the energy. Uh, you know, not being able to travel to the conventions and other events and due to COVID, it's great when that uh, setting comes here to, to Utah and we can just uh, drive up the street and be uh, present for it ourselves. Uh, tell me, uh, Professor Davis, uh, why is it why is it special and why is it unique that this uh, debate is here in the state of Utah? What's the importance here? Well, it's not been in Utah before. These debates have been held by the Presidential Debate Commission since 1988. Uh, so many states have been represented, but Utah is not. So uh, the Utah Debate Commission, which which I was uh, one of the founders of, uh, decided back in 2015 uh, to uh, try to bid for this debate because it had never happened in Utah before. And this this is a... It's it's a it's a sign that uh, you know Utah's on the map in terms of these debates, and that's uh, I think very helpful for us. Why do you predict it had never come to Utah in the past, or or even to to Intermountain West uh, cities uh, for the most part in in the past? H- had the rest of the country just kind of looked uh, at the Intermountain West as uh, not so important, not uh, maybe uh, not maybe worthy of hosting events like this? Well, it's interesting that when uh, we did approach the Commission on Presidential Debates about this, they they were very interested in in uh, in having Utah. They uh, so I don't think it was 
that they were necessarily neglectful. I think they were waiting for uh, an application a bit. Uh, that, had, uh, to my knowledge, that had not happened before. I so see. we we provided that bid. So they were ready to answer the door. All we had to do was knock. Yeah. And you did just that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Did that way. Talk to me about what you expect to come from night, contrasting it with uh, last Tuesday's debate between the presidential candidates. Well, I, I hope uh, and I expect that we will be able to actually hear what the what the candidates have to say, and they will uh, complete full sentences. Uh, they they were not there. I don't see them interrupting one another, or you know, rarely if if ever. Uh, I I do see this as an opportunity for the whole nation to be able to hear from uh, people that they don't know very well. I mean, the vice president of the United States is not still not a well-known person and Senator Harris isn't either. So this would be an opportunity to hear what they're like, uh, how they interact with each other, how they respond to questions. Uh, certainly, you know, they're not going to be the president of the United States uh, in, in January. At least I don't expect they will be either one of them, but it does say uh, what, the person who's next in line is going to be like, uh, whether that's Harris or Pence. Uh, and that's, I think, important for us to get a sense of that. Um, uh, and, and this is the, that opportunity to do so. You have an opinion piece uh, published uh, just yesterday in the Salt Lake Tribune where you characterize the the debate of last Tuesday as uh, a dumpster fire, a train wreck, a hot mess, a, a worst debate ever. Uh, and in that same piece, you offer forth some suggestions on how uh, to ensure that uh, what we saw last Tuesday uh, was nothing but an aberration and not something which becomes the new normal. What do you propose to change? Well, I think first uh, you have to set some firm rules and not negotiate uh, with candidates because uh, when you negotiate with them, then they end up trying to use that negotiation clearly to their advantage. So early on in the process, rules have to be set uh, and everybody uh, agrees to those rules. Um, but another is that you actually have to enforce the rules. You have to penalize candidates who, who break the rules. So a moderator could get an extra time to the candidate who uh, who doesn't break the rules um, and, and take time away from the candidate who does to send the message that these rules really do matter. That that was not something that happened last time. Is it possible? Another is to turn off the well, so, gonna... this one more. Turn, turn off the microphone. Uh, and that's not difficult to do. Um, when a candidate is not speaking, the, the, the sound people just, you know, the mic isn't on. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for a candidate to be heard even in the auditorium, much less to the whole nation when their microphone is not on. That's just some things you could do. Sure. Does the implementation of rules like that, both the microphone and uh, the, the moderator having some authority to uh, you know, shift time from one uh, participant to the other, does that run the risk of then making the rules themselves and the moderator uh, a larger than appropriate character in the story that plays out that evening? Is it likely that the next morning that instead of focusing on what we did hear from the candidates, uh, we instead focus on pointing our fingers at the unfairness of the moderator and the rules? Well, I think what happened uh, with this last debate was that the moderator lost control of the situation. And that's why we call this person the moderator. And they have a, a real function. They're not there simply to ask questions of each candidate and, and then you, hear the answers and then move on. 
Have, have you, in past presidential debates, uh, observed the need for these rules that you propose? Oh, I think they're always there. That's right. Um, they, otherwise, uh, the debate becomes a free-for-all where the most obstinate, loudest, most obnoxious candidate uh, prevails. And, and the voters are the real losers here because they don't get to actually compare the candidates. They hear from one. Uh, and they don't they don't hear from the other. And also, as we saw last Tuesday, they talk over one another to the point where you can't even hear either one of them. Uh, so, so that's why you have to have rules in a debate in order for uh, the debate to actually benefit those who are the listeners to 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 this debate. We want to hear from we want questions answered and we want to hear from uh, both of the candidates and another thing is that when they just yell at each other, uh, uh, they're probably not talking about substance. When a question is asked and the expectation is that they take the time to answer that question and don't interrupt, then we're, we're supposed to, uh, hopefully we will, get more information about their, their policy positions. We've been speaking with Richard Davis, BYU political science professor and the chair of the State Debate Commission. This conversation taking place live here. I am broadcasting from the campus of the University of Utah, where tonight the vice presidential candidates will debate one another. Professor Davis, thank you so much for your time and your insight here. Thank you. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.